0: morning, Christ Community Church. Hope you're doing well here on uh, May 31st, the year of the plague. That's what I want to say. I cannot believe we're still not meeting together, but we're not. And I uh, wanted to say a few things here in the announcements. First of all, continued thanks uh, for to the Lord for your generosity. I mean, the Lord it has everything, and we're just stewards of it. But you all have been great stewards to continue to give faithfully, whether it's online or Text to give or by mail. So I just want to say thank you and thank the Lord for um, moving in your hearts continually in that way. And we continue to serve many people uh, here. We're going to have a big event here on June the second. Uh, driving through our parking lot with Nourish NC and, and feeding, I don't know, two to three hundred carloads of people coming through here to help. So you're you're allowing those kinds of things to happen. The second thing I want to say is you should have received in your email, um, either Friday or today, whenever you receive it, uh, about the new, the phased plan for Christ Community Church. And our ultimate hope is to have a worship service here that you can attend on July the 19th. Now, just when I say that, it feels like a big pill to swallow Um, And it is, and it's complicated, but we're trying to stay in line with the governor's restrictions, even though we know there is some um, leeway we have as a church. And we'd rather be on the conservative end rather than the aggressive end. And thankfully, when I approached the staff and the elders and we talked about it, really 100% agreement on it. So I feel confident that the Lord is with us in uh, our decision making and I pray that you just continue to be patient. You'll you'll see the information in the email. There'll be more that comes out. Um, but we hope that we'll have uh, basically June of uh, this kind of uh, meeting. And then in July there'll be a couple of prayer meetings you can come to here at the church. And there'll be some training meetings. And then on the 19th we'll have a worship service here. And we'll all be back together. So I uh, wanted you to know that. And finally and really most importantly uh many of you know Ben and Michelle Chestnut members here at Christ Community Church a couple of weeks there ago their middle son their middle son whose name is Morgan had just not been feeling well and it led to them going to the hospital and it eventually led to them finding out just a couple of days ago that he has leukemia so um look that's that's just the worst kind of news that you would want to hear as a parent. And although they feel confident that uh, he has a good chance of recovering, it's, it's going to be a long road, and we want to be on the road with him and praying with them. There will probably be ways that we'll ask you to help in some way, but right now you can pray for, for Ben and Michelle, and uh, especially the next 30 days for Morgan as he begins his, his chemo treatment uh, this weekend. So I want us to pray together for them. Lord, in the middle of uh, a chaotic time, um, the chestnuts have entered into even uh, a more uncertain space. And although we do have good courage to believe that um, there is a road, a good road forward for Morgan and his family. We pray for your divine nearness and in intervention and healing for Morgan Chestnut. Pray for your nearness to Ben and Michelle and and all the challenges that they'll face with trips to Chapel Hill and and issues wrapped around. Um, the next 30 days and beyond. Lord, would you give them a peace that passes all understanding. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In the in the email, there'll be uh, an address for the chestnuts, and I would encourage you to just send a handwritten note to Morgan, to Ben and Michelle, and, and tell them that you're praying for you. I look forward to seeing you again soon.
1: Good morning, Christ Community Church. We are so excited to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, Would you join us in singing this song? How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all men That He should give His own Son To make a wretch His treasure How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory behold sin upon his shoulder ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that Till it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me light I know that it is finished give an answer But this This I know with with all my heart heart. His wounds have paid my My ransom. ransom Well, should I gain And I give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Good morning. My name is Trevor Mollenhoff. I'm one of the elders here at Christ Community Church. Today I'm going to be reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: I had originally planned on uh, completing our tutoring session with Peter this morning in the book of uh, 1 Peter and in chapter 5, but I thought in light of this week's events surrounding George Floyd and really the last few weeks of what's been going on in our culture, I thought that Peter had one more really critical lesson to teach us, uh, a very hard lesson That relates to the issues that we're having to deal with now as a culture and as a church And so I want to go through uh, several different passages in the book of Acts And also focus on Galatians And then at the end of the sermon there's going to be some questions That I would love it if you're with people uh, at the end To to stop and pause and process those questions I'm going to ask some questions and let you answer them uh, during this sermon as well but I want to begin uh, thinking this morning by considering the, the challenge of changing momentum. The challenge of changing momentum. I don't know if you got a chance this last week to see that giant container ship that came into the port at Shipyard. I mean, the thing was huge. It's the biggest one that's ever entered our port and best I could tell, it was 1,200 feet long. I mean, when they were turning that thing around in the river, it didn't look like the river was going to be wide enough. It, it had uh, 14,000 containers. And so this thing was massive. And these massive ships, I've learned, uh, in order for them to come to a full stop, they need five miles in 20 minutes. Imagine that. Imagine you applying your brakes on your car, for five minutes, and you needed 20 miles in order to come to a stop. Well, why is that? Well, it's because they have so much forward momentum. They have so much weight moving forward. It takes a lot of space and time for them to come to a full stop and then pivot and move in a different direction. Well, in the same way that it takes a lot of space and time, in the same way that it's difficult to stop the forward momentum of a containership it's equally difficult to stop the the forward momentum of a cultural momentum and this is what's happening here in the book of galatians and really through the book of acts is there's this been this massive forward momentum that peter and paul and the other disciples are trying to embrace to stop and then move in a d- different direction i want to um, start by thinking about um, Acts chapter 10. Up to this point, the church had been all Jews, or if not all, almost almost exclusively all Jewish people. The the first uh, sermon that Peter gave in Acts chapter 2 in these three thousand converts, they were all Jewish pilgrims coming back to Jerusalem. But in Acts chapter 10, there is literally a cultural earthquake that takes place it's one of the most significant parts of the book of acts and i want to go backwards first before we get to acts chapter 10 and remember that it was about 1300 years ago starting from acts chapter 10 that moses received the law he led led the people out of israel or out of egypt uh, into the into uh, the desert and he goes to mount sinai and receives the law 613 laws not just the ten commandments but the the civil laws, the ceremonial laws that the Jewish people followed. And they've been following these for 1,300 years. And these laws told you what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, the people who were clean and the people who were unclean, and all kinds of laws around the right of circumcision. So this momentum has been building for 1,300 years. In the book of Acts, God's changing this cultural momentum and it takes quite a bit of effort as we'll see. So I want to read Acts chapter 10 for you and um, let's examine this together beginning with verse 9. The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on a housetop about the sixth hour to pray and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing the food, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. You hear that language? And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened, this vision happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, men who were sent by Cornelius, an Italian Roman soldier, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and asked whether Peter was lodging there. So this is a huge cultural moment here in Acts chapter 10. Think about the momentum 1,300 years creates. Think about how much effort and energy it's going to need to be applied in order to stop. You see it just here in the the very beginning. There's three different times Peter has to have this vision. The Lord has to constantly be reminding. He's going to have to keep doing it for Peter and the rest of the disciples as well. The the change of this momentum, it takes a lot of repetition to change cultural muscle memory. And as Peter sits perplexed on the rooftop wondering about this vision, he gets a knock on the door. And uh, at the same time, Cornelius had been visited by an angel saying, you need to go get this guy named Peter and come to your house, and he's going to have a message for you. So God's working these things. He's always orchestrating. This is what I love about you see it in the Bible, and you can see it in your own life. God's always orchestrating things that are going to eventually connect. You just can't see them at this point. Well, here's the connection point, this vision that Peter had, the visit of the angels Cornelius has, and he comes in and he's orchestrating these two events to bring these two ethnic groups together, Jew and Gentile. And here's the very first thing Peter says as he goes with these men to Cornelius' house. Acts chapter 10 verse 28. You yourselves. Now he steps into the house and he says this. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit someone from another nation. Imagine that. Peter is is being carried forward by this 1,300 years of cultural momentum. And he's saying, it's unlawful for me to even visit you, to, to, to be stepping in your house. But here's the key phrase, but God. you gotta, you got to circle that phrase every time you see it in the, in, the, in the Bible because God's shifting something and Peter's being shifted by God. But God is shifting momentum but God is changing the direction, but god is God doesn't want cultural or ethnic barriers to to keep people apart. He wants this buried or be broken down so the gospel doors would swing open so that people from every tribe and tongue and nation would be able to hear the gospel Now here, I just have a question: An angel visited Cornelius why why didn't the angel just preach the gospel i mean why why would god even want to involve peter in it certainly the angel could have done a wonderful job telling people about jesus telling people about god but why 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 peter and the answer is that because god is reconciling not just people to himself through the gospel he's reconciling people to each other We know this in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says, with your blood, with the blood of Jesus, you purchased men for God. The the death of Christ purchased men. That that's a, a rock that you have to stand on. His death purchased me for God. And it says, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and we want to celebrate. Most of us know that verse. But I don't want you to stop reading there. I want you to keep going to, to verse 9 that says this. You have made them, every tribe and tongue and nation, you have made them into a kingdom and priests to serve together. See, he's bringing these two things. The, the cross is both vertical in its connection with you and God and horizontal in its connection for us with each other for different ethnicities to be one under God. So Peter preaches to Cornelius, and he's the very first Italian convert, the very first Italian Christian. And I'm 25% Italian, so I, I love this particular story. Cornelius becomes the first Italian to meet Jesus. And then Peter then goes back to the church in Jerusalem and he reports back what's happened. He's, he's, he's dumbfounded about what's happened. So he goes back to this very first church that's been planted in Jerusalem and he tells them, hey, this is, guys, I want to share with you what happened and I want to share you with you their, their response, Acts chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, The circumcision party, this is the the Jewish party that's captaining the ship, the 1,300-year-old ship of the Old Testament. So the circumcision party criticized Peter. See, we we don't want to get off the ship. You went to the uncircumcised men and you ate with them? You hear that in verse 3? We can't believe it. Peter, you're the leader of the church. You're the Jew that stood next to, to Jesus. You're the one who's, who's leading the charge here. And you, you went inside and you actually ate with them? They can't, they can't believe it. They can't believe this cultural momentum is shifted. We don't do that, Peter. And Peter goes on in that chapter to explain what happens. And it And you feel like they get it. Like maybe the the tide is beginning to turn, that the ship is beginning to stop, but then you come just a few chapters later to Acts chapter fourteen and Acts chapter fifteen. Now in Acts chapter fourteen and fifteen, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and his faithful sidekick the what's known as the son of encouragement, Barnabas, they have gone out on a missionary journey and they're coming back to report what has happened as well. And what they're telling people is, you wouldn't believe the Holy Spirit outpouring onto the Gentile people. And they're responding, they're, they're flooding into the church. It's such good news, but when they come back to the Jerusalem church, what they get is a, is a stiff arm. Oh boy. I mean, pretty soon. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be more of them than there is of us. We don't want that. You can feel, you can just feel power, power slipping away, control. I mean, what happens if the church turns out that it's more Gentile than Jewish in number? We're, we're going to be less in our power, in our control. It's not just about momentum. It's, it's threatening so in Acts chapter 15 some men come from Jerusalem and let's read that verse chapter 15 verse 1 but some men came down from Judea and were teaching that the teaching the brothers this unless you are circumcised according to the 1300 year custom of Moses you cannot be saved. You hear that? This is their new gospel. It's Jesus plus something. And this plus is going to make it harder for you to actually get inside. We're going to make sure that when you get inside, you look like us, you act like us, you eat like us, you sing like us, you dress like us. We're going to make sure it's difficult. One, because we're on this momentum. And two, we need some power and control about who gets to get in and who, who, who can't get in. That's what's happening here in Acts chapter 15, Peter, you want to kiss Peter on the lips here in Acts chapter 15 because he stands up. You see that in chapter 15 verse 7? And after they had, there had been much debate, to P- Peter stood up. I mean, this, this is the moment if you're watching it as a film, you know, just you get chills because you know he's, he's been in the house of Cornelius. Cornelius is now his friend. They've had meals together. And he stands up and as the leader of the church, he's, he, he lays down the truth of the gospel for these people. Such a, a great moment for Peter. He says to these men we, in the, at the end of this, uh, this paragraph, verse 11, but we believe that we have been saved through grace. Everyone's saved through grace, guys. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. We're all on the same level ground before Jesus. And so at this very first church council, they say, that's right, that's right, that's true. And they write a letter and they explain what they mean and they want that letter to be sent back out. And you feel like, okay, the cultural momentum is, is beginning to shift. Peter's, Peter's standing up and he's taking other people with him. But unfortunately, to, to stop this cultural momentum, it takes a long, a long time. It takes a lot of space. And sadly, it takes a lot of time for Peter. He doesn't get it right away. This is really one of the things I love about reading about Peter in the New Testament is you get to see his successes, but they're not afraid to show you his failures. Galatians chapter 2. Peter comes to Antioch, this town that is like the prototype New Testament church. Uh, Antioch is a worldwide city, uh, world um, class city. Antioch is a very multicultural city. And when you read about the leadership in the church of Antioch, it's multicultural. All kinds of different types of people and ethnicities on the elder board at this church. If you ever wanted to be involved in a a church in the New Testament, be the church at Antioch, I think. And what happens is Peter comes to Antioch, and he delights in all this diversity. He loves it. He fits right in. And so he sits down, and he's having a barbecue sandwich with his friends, his Gentile friends. But something happens. On the trail of Peter are some of these circumcised party, these captains of the old ship and they come into Antioch and this beautiful picture in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2 gets marred in verse 12 certain men come from James come from the church in Jerusalem they don't like barbecue they probably don't like what's happening in Antioch but here's the one thing we know they don't like they don't like Peter sitting with them And we can't say exactly what happened, but pressure got applied. Pressure got applied to Peter. And at the next meal, he's sitting at the end of the table, and the meal after that, he's sitting at another table, and the meal after that, he's sitting with his friends on the other side of the room. Something happens. Some kind of pressure gets applied to Peter. And as much as you love Peter in Acts 15... Oh, you're so frustrated with him in Galatians chapter 2. You just can't believe he's dragging, he, he's being dragged away. And you notice that when he goes away, as the leader goes, so do other pe- people follow. And even Barnabas, the one who had been on this missionary uh, trip with Paul, he gets dragged away by Peter. Peter allows ethnicity. He allows fear. He allows the the desire or the hunger that everyone has to somehow be in the inner group begin to to run his actions. Peter's actions display that because he's Jewish, he's superior, and that's called racism, and it's an ugly moment in the life of the church here. And when Peter gets crushed by this cultural momentum, other people get crushed as well. Now, now, why did Peter do this? It says he was afraid, but what what do you think made Peter afraid? Well, I'm I'm going to let you answer that question as you think about it. If you're sitting with yourself, if you're with another group of people, what what would have caused Peter to be so afraid? What might cause you to be afraid in this situation. Well, Paul's response is really pivotal, which is really critical for us to understand here in verse 14. It's really the most, one of the most pivotal moments in all of the New Testament. Paul sees this hypocrisy of Peter's actions. And notice what he says. He noticed Peter's actions are not in step with the gospel. You, gotta, you just have to underline that. Peter's actions are not in step with the gospel the the word in step the greek word is orthopodeo orthopodeo it's not it's straight walking peter is not walking straight he's walking crooked he's out of line he's out of step with the gospel and so paul responds and to see his response is very critical for us especially today he doesn't he doesn't paul notice Paul doesn't see this problem of racism as a distraction from the gospel. He sees it as a gospel issue. Trying to tackle this issue is not like, well, we're getting distracted. We don't don't have time for this kind of stuff because we've got to do the gospel. No, Paul says this is the gospel. This is closely tied to the gospel. Peter's action is marring the gospel itself. So Paul attacks Peter, but just notice the way he does it. He doesn't come up to Peter and say, Peter, you're a racist. I mean, what kind of reaction are you going to get when you say that? No, he comes up to Peter. He looks at him in his face and he says, Peter, I was there. I was there when you stood up and you stood up and defended the gospel. And I remember you said, everybody is saved by grace. Do you remember that? What a moment. What a way to turn Peter's heart, not against Paul, but you see, he was turning his heart back to what Peter really loved, which was Jesus and the gospel. So critical as you enter into these very difficult situations. You're you're trying to help people see their actions in light of the gospel. Well, Peter, Paul was brave to stand up to Peter and we're going to have to be brave at different times to stand up to people who are in power and positions and say that's not right that that may be the way that it used to work but it doesn't work that way anymore and consider what might have happened if Paul hadn't stood up to Peter at that moment maybe the church would have split into two the the jewish church the gentile church i mean one lord but two different tables two different communion tables a sort of a separate but equal yeah we know that doesn't work in america separate and equal isn't going to end up being equal And so Paul, at the very critical moment, he stands up. This is where you want to kiss Paul on the face and say, Thank you for for having the courage to stand up right here, Paul. And notice that Paul did it publicly before everyone who had watched Peter walk away. Why do you think that's important? Well, I'm going to let you answer that question as you talk after the sermon. Momentum momentum, once it gets going, the longer it goes, the more it picks up steam, the harder it is to stop. That's true about a container ship. It's true about a cultural condition. And we have our own momentum here in America. America. It probably started before 400 years ago, slavery, but in terms of American history, 400 years ago in 1619, the very first assembly took place in a newly constructed church in a town called Jamestown. And these people gathered together, these immigrants who had come from uh, Europe, they gathered together and they had this sort of charter with each other, and I want to just read one phrase: "We, our principal purpose is to create just laws for the happy, happy governing of the people." Really, everything that we're going to say in this document is we're trying to create justice, and we want justice for all people so they can live happy lives. Very admirable thing to say. But a few weeks later, uh, a kind of container ship sailed into this little village you know what it contained not 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 boxes 20 chained africans for sale the first slaves in america now, now don't you wish you could go back to that moment and take someone out of that newly built church and say, can anyone here be like a Paul? Can anyone stand here at this critical moment and say, that's wrong, we just said what we want to do. We're not going to go in that direction. Imagine how one person standing up at one critical moment could have changed the course of a whole country. Who's to say? But nonetheless, the momentum, like original sin, gets started in our country. In the next 200 years, 20 slaves turn into 4 million slaves. I I just want you to let that sink in. 20 slaves over the next 200 years turn into 4 million slaves. Amazing. In 1750, Jonathan Edwards, often referred to as America's greatest theologian, he was a slave owner. And one reason we know he was a slave owner is because he has a receipt for purchasing uh, a young lady named Venus. And we still have the receipt today in the library. And on the back of the receipt, after the purchase, he writes a little note to himself about faithful gospel ministry. You just wonder how that happens in a great theologian. The momentum. See, so you can get caught up in the momentum and you just can't even see that you're caught up in the momentum. That's very possible. It doesn't, you don't wake up and think, I'm going to do this. You can just say, this is what I was born into. This is the way everyone operates and I'm, I'm somehow caught up in this momentum. If somebody doesn't arrest me in some way to say, don't, don't be thinking that way. Don't move in that direction anymore. I could sail my whole life in this same kind of stream. 1786, Absalom Jones, Absalom Jones. He's kneeling in a church in Philadelphia, home of the Liberty Bell. And on the inscription on the Liberty Bell is Leviticus 25.10. It says this, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land and into, into, into unto all inhabitants. This is the Liberty Bell. We, we're ringing this across America saying we want freedom for all the inhabitants, except we actually... We don't want freedom for some of the inhabitants as it turns out. And Absalom Jones is kneeling in a church pew in the wrong place and a white usher comes up to him and says, you can't kneel and pray here in a church. So he walks out and he starts the AME church. 1786. 1818, Frederick Douglass is a slave great orator, great um, uh, historical figure in terms of trying to turn the tide of racism. And his most painful memories come in relationship to the gospel. He goes to a revival. He sneaks out of where he is because this famous preacher has come and he sort of stands in the back and watches as his master, the one who beats him regularly, is on the front row crying tears of repentance. And he just can't put these two things together. This master who's crying about his own sin and yet the master comes back and, and beats him. Well, Douglas was then sold to another man who was even much more cruel. And this man regularly, attend, regularly required Douglas to attend his family devotions in the Bible. And he would ask Douglas to sing because Douglas had a great voice to sing hymns to his family. See, this momentum, it it continues. Wilmington has its own role to play in this momentum, 1898. I hope you've heard about it. If you haven't, just check out the book, Wilmington Lies, and we're going to have a link to a little video about that book. It's the unlawful overthrow of uh, black businesses, black politicians, and the murder of um, we don't know how many black men and women. It's the 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 coup of 1898. It's a very unique moment in uh, American history, and certainly in Wilmington. And on November the ninth, 1898, from the current courthouse in Wilmington, believe it or not, was read aloud the White Declaration of Independence. Matt, just imagine that. Imagine today somebody going to the courthouse and saying, "Here's the White Declaration of Independence." That happened here. Hundred and twenty or so years ago in Wilmington. And I want to just read you one one brief statement from it. Believing the Constitution of the United States contemplated a government to be carried on by enlightened people. You hear that? This nation was meant to just be carried on by people who are enlightened. Believing its framers did not anticipate the enfranchisement of an ignorant population from African origins, and believing those men of the state of North Carolina who did not contemplate for themselves or their descendants some subjection to an inferior race, we, the citizens of Wilmington and of New Hanover County, do hereby declare that we will no longer be ruled and we will never again be ruled by men of African origin. You hear that? They're not saying it just for today. They're projecting that momentum into today. We're not going to be ruled that way and never again, people of Wilmington, are you ever going to have to be subjected to people who aren't enlightened. That that momentum affects... Wilmington today. You might not know it, you might be caught in a stream and say I didn't even know I was in the stream. I'm helping you understand it's a stream. It's running through our city. It still runs through our nation. That momentum continues to move forward. I could mention many more things. You you must have the picture of Emmett Till in your mind, 1955. If you don't know it, Just go to Google and Google Emmett Till. Look at this young 14-year-old boy's face before he died and after he died. you got to look at it. If you haven't seen it, look at it. Stare at it. you got to hear the words of Martin Luther King in his speeches. They have to be a part of how you see things, how you hear things from a different perspective. We've added one more this week this horrific image of a white police officer with his knee on the neck of George Floyd. And this phrase that just has haunted me, it's haunted many of you. I can't, I can't breathe. And it stays there until he's dead. Now whatever the situation surrounding what might have happened before that there is no right for a man to be the judge and jury at that moment and see this momentum it continues it in today and you feel the unrest in your soul you see it now what's happening in Minneapolis what do you do complicated question and and when these kinds of things happen i I call one of my african-american friends and say i'm i'm sorry for having to call you and ask you this question i'm sorry for you having to see this video and what you might think i called jermaine armor my pastor at an ame church oddly enough and just thought how how he has a son and how he might have thought this could have been him this could have been his son and just try to talk to him and try to get a different perspective on how he sees or feels. And I would say from our text today, I want to give you a couple of concrete suggestions. Now look, I think it's fine if you post stuff on your Facebook or Instagram. But I'm afraid sometimes that feels like you've done something. And I don't want to say it's nothing, but it's, it, there needs to be more. Let me just say just there needs to be more. And two things I think we can learn from Paul and Peter here. First of all, from Paul, you have to stand up. At some you, you, you just have to be aware of it. Look, many people were aware of what Peter was doing before Paul saw it. And they just didn't stand up. So you just have to walk in and, and keep your eyes open at your business, in your neighborhood, at your church. In the city, wherever you are, you just have to be aware. Make yourself aware of the history, the momentum, what's happening here. And say something. And you might have to say something to somebody who seems important, like Peter. The second thing is in Acts chapter 10, you notice that Peter had this vision and God called him to go to Cornelius's house. Peter, I need you, you're in the superior position culturally to go in and purposefully be a part of Cornelius's life, to, to walk into his house, to eat with him, to talk with him, to begin a dialogue, to begin a relationship with him. And I know many of you have uh, great friendships with the black and brown community here in Wilmington, but if you don't, you, you just have to. You have to see it from a friend's perspective. You can't just get it from reading a book or watching something on television or listening to another person, even if it's like Martin Luther King. You have to have some kind of relationship. So, so when you see these things, you have a friend's face, somebody you know, somebody you love, somebody you, you care for, that you can talk to and dialogue with. Those two things would be more concrete and more permanent steps at least in changing you. And I pray and hope in changing our culture. Again, I'm, I'm going to pray here, but I, I want you to take some time to consider the questions, to talk about them. If you haven't seen the video, you you just you have to watch it. And I know you might say, oh, I, don't, I just don't want to see that. You've got to see it. My friend Jermaine, he doesn't need to see it. He's seen it. He's experienced those kinds of things. But but for many of the people that I'm talking to, you got to listen to it. It's got to become part of what's in your mind so it begins to change you. And as you change, we pray. Other people around you change. We change. And as a church, I hope we're on the front edge of standing up. Let's pray together. Lord, this these are not new challenges. We see it in Peter here in Acts chapter or Galatians chapter two. We we know it from our history, we know it from ourselves. And yet that stream continues to, to run through our culture and it runs through many of our own souls and we need your help to, to see ourselves to understand the gospel implications the courage to stand up the courage to, to walk into somebody else's life and, and stay at a, a relationship until the relationship turns into a friendship and to pray Pray for your Holy Spirit to come and change. Change ourselves, change our church, change our city, and heal our nation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.
2: community this week we're going to again focus on a couple of members of our church who are making that great transition out of college and into their first career we're going to focus first of all on a couple of uncw graduates that we were not able to highlight the first time around and then also focus on our apprentices who have successfully graduated from college and went through the ministry apprentice program and then i'll pray at the end
3: Hi, my name is Abby Parker. I have attended Christ Community for around six years on and off since my junior year of high school. And I'm really thankful for the relationships I have with some other college students that also attend Christ Community. Um, I have just graduated from UNCW with my bachelor's degree in international studies. As I move forward, I am pursuing my master's of teaching with a concentration in special education from Liberty University Online. And after that, I hope to be a special education teacher and potentially um, become a special education director.
4: Hi, my name is Hannah Parham. I graduated in May from UNCW with my bachelor's in social work. I'm currently working at First Fruit Ministries as their Supportive Housing Program Coordinator. I do everything from going into the tent cities in the woods and getting to know people, doing a little bit of case management with them, to identifying victims of human trafficking, and walking with them until they're ready to move into the transitional house. And it is truly just such an honor to be let into someone's life like that and be able to walk with them on their journey towards healing. And I'm so thankful to Christ Community Church for showing me that ministry in the first place. I had always heard about First Fruit Ministries growing up, but I never thought that I would work there. Um, And I'm just so thankful to the Lord for leading me there and for Christ's community for preparing me for a life in ministry that I never thought I would be living, but here I am. (laughs) And um, also, I just want to thank my parents for um, always encouraging me and supporting me, and for choosing this church for me to grow up in, and also for my extended family through this church, the Lanes, the Taylors, the Duncans, and the shrams for really pouring into me and being such incredible role models for me growing up. Um, So I love you guys, (laughs) and um, next steps for me. So I'm currently in grad school pursuing my master's in social work, so prayers during this really busy time are definitely appreciated, but I just wanted to take the time to say thank you so much, Christ Community Church, for all that you've done for me.
3: Hey, my name is Morgan Cooper, and I am one of the ministry apprentices I work with Sharon Radford in K-5 ministry, and I got to live with Claire Eford this year. I was interested in the map because I got to be on the receiving end of ministry from Christ Community as a high school student through the youth group. And I also got the chance to serve in our tutoring program, which I fell in love with really quickly. And after I graduated college, I knew that Wilmington was the community that I wanted to come back to and serve. Um, and I wanted to get more involved in ministry at Christ Community. I got to work with Sharon in K5 Ministry on Sunday mornings and help with MOLO and our tutoring program and I love doing all of those. Um, I think my biggest takeaway from the map is just the importance of a community that really invests in you and that gives you the opportunity to invest in it as well. Um, and my plans for next year are to join staff part-time at Christ Community and continue to work with Sharon in k Five Ministry. So I'm really excited. Thank you guys um, just for supporting me and loving me so well this year. And I can't wait to continue being a part of the team here.
5: Hey Christ Community Church, it's Sam Husky here. I'm one of your ministry apprentices at church. Um, and by the time you see this video, it will actually be my last day officially as an apprentice. So it's been an honor and a joy and I've loved it so much. The areas that I worked in, I was in the youth ministry, a little bit of college at some points, Greenfield Village. Um, And then I also, so that was part-time at the church and then part-time at Proclaim Interactive as an intern, um, which has been great. They, I really came in and they just kind of gave me the tools I needed and supported me in a way that helped me now become what I hope is a productive employee for them. Um, And while as a MAP, as some of you may know, you get to live with a host family and this isn't traditional, but I ended up living with four different people um, over the course of the year. I started at my friend Raven's house who, so I got to live with her for a couple months before she got married. So that was such a gift to get to be a part of that season of her life um, and for us. And then I moved in with the Belks, Louise and Jeff. So thanks y'all. I loved it. Got to hang with Wesley. Um, And then I lived with the Marables, which was so sweet. And then I lived with Sarah Duncan for the end, like way to end on a good note. When you're in the chaos of like a youth event or just a hardship in life, I think one thing that the map kind of taught me through the criteria and memorization of verses and um, just moments where it just really caused me to rely on scripture and f- see the complete value of it being foundation. And I will continue to be a part-time employee at Christ Community Church, and then also at Proclaim Interactive. So I'm very excited and so grateful that I get to um, now, with a little more responsibility, continue the things that I really do enjoy doing. So thanks y'all for supporting me and helping me get to this point. Love you guys, miss you.
6: Throughout college I went to Christ Community Church and was familiar with the map and knew some of the the former maps and i was at a point where i graduated and and didn't really didn't really know what i was wanting to do and you know discerning through god's calling on my life and the map was the perfect thing that met me at that crossroads the perfect opportunity to to give myself a year to sort sort through prayer and action of what I felt driven and called to do. During my time as a MAP, I worked with the middle school, the high school, and the inner city ministries, and all three of which are amazing and awesome. But I'll tell you right now, I've got the energy of a middle schooler, so it clicked well. During my time as a MAP, I lived with two different families, the Shrams, Tom and Julie Shram, and the Parks, David and Elizabeth Parks, and secretly, don't tell anyone, but I got the two greatest families possible. Super grateful. Now, as a map, you, you read a lot of books, listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of articles, and have tons of conversations with staff, Pastor Paul, David, and people in the community, like mentors and, and others. And it's amazing. It's it's awesome. Um, and it's awesome in a, in a lot of ways. Two big things have happened. I've gotten married, and I got a new job. So I'm hoping to continue on the path I'm on right now and, and continue being the best husband I can be and glorifying God in our marriage. And then within the workplace, with a new job that comes, you know, new coworkers and new customers you see every day in this business world. And, and I, my prayer for the next year is to, is to give it my all and, and learn as much as I can and do everything in my ability to glorify God.
2: Okay, let's pray together. God, we pray for, again, our UNCW graduates that they would find uh, a great first step into their career and that you would give them a wonderful community of Christians that would be able to encourage them in their faith, a church if they don't come and land here at Christ Community, a church that preaches the gospel and God's word, and that they would be uh, saturated in your word enough to grow in, in their faith. God, I pray for the ministry apprentices, Sam Husky, Morgan Cooper, and Pearson Fields, that you would help them take their next steps into ministry and into meaningful work in the workplace, and that you would guide every one of their steps. We are grateful as a church for all of their many contributions to our congregation, the ministries that they serve to me personally. And we are so excited about their next step, and we just pray for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.